What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ podcast as we are here to get you ready for UFC 292 goes down there on Saturday inside the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Of course, that is the fighter Pete Rogers Jr. I am Jason Floyd. Of course, if this is your first time checking us out here on Fight HQ, we appreciate you tuning in. Of course, be sure to hit that subscribe button. If you haven't been watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit that thumbs up button. Or if you're watching us over on the podcast channel, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. That really does help us a lot as well. Happy Thursday afternoon. Pete, how's it going, man? What's going on, everybody? Uh, it's going well. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, exciting card this week, of course. Uh, excellent pay-per-view. Um a little difficult from a DFS build standpoint, in my opinion. Um, I, I don't know how I'm going to address it. Um, whereas I, I'm usually in love with a lot of underdogs. Not so much this week. I can make a case for a few of them. And obviously, you know, the main event, co-main event, you, you can you can make a case for anybody winning those fights. Um, but it, it's from a viewer standpoint, I'm excited to watch it. Of course, uh, be sure to join our Discord channel. Totally free to join. Of course, uh, the score questions do take priority. So if you want to uh, jump, jump in Discord, ask a question, or you can ask a question right here on YouTube. If you want to send a super chat, we appreciate that as well. Of course, as always, we appreciate everyone taking time out of your day to, down, to download, listen, whether you watch us live or after the uh, show is over. Of course, we'll have our DraftKings contest. That'll be up here later on today, so you be sure you want to get in that. I just, just missed out last week. I missed out by like, like five points from cash and i was like i looked at that next day i was like damn i had a, I had a decent lineup just didn't didn't have the right combination to take it down yeah i'm with you i i don't even really remember how last week happened or what happened um but it, it was an okay result um and lo- looking to make a make it a little bit better this week i mean look i mean we, we sit here and we break down fights every week i mean if i was sat here a week ago and said hey by the way we're gonna have eight takedowns in the main event you would have sat there and said, oh, clearly it's RDA. Yeah, you, I mean, you would have thought, right? I mean, yeah, you know, Luke looked like the true welterweight in there, and, you know, RDA it did look like a, a lightweight. You know, it, yeah. I was pretty surprised at how uh, built Vicente Luque looked in that fight. I did like Luque, so it worked out really well. I wish I would have got a little bit more aggressive with him because uh, he ended up just going out there putting up a, a pretty big score. Yeah, you need him in your life last week if you're going to take down any contest. Of course, we had uh, the third Twister submission in UFC history. And, well, DeMond Blackshear says, you know what? Let's do this thing again. Let's step back in there another six days. Step up here, uh, replacing Cody Garbrandt to take on Mario Batista. Uh, I did see a note where Mario Batista already said, like, hey, if he doesn't make weight, I don't care. We'll, we'll, we'll work out a deal, and uh, we'll fight here on, on Saturday. Of course, uh, we'll break this one down for you. Now, when we talk about game theory here, Pete, um, you know, to me, game theory for this one is going to start with the main event and co-main event. And, and we're, we're going to get into the actual fight aspect of it. But, like, I, I don't know if you have the same thought as me. I think the most likely scenario is neither one of these f- scheduled five-round title fights actually makes it five rounds. I'm with you. I, I do. I do think that a finish comes inside the distance in both of them. Um, I do think that you can make a case if it does go 25 minutes. It's pretty likely it's going to be uh, Willie Zhang and a in uh, an Aljamain Sterling victory. You would think, um, but I just I I would agree with you. I think that you know both fights are going to finish inside of 25 minutes. Hopefully, it's not in the third round. Um, and if it is in the third round, hopefully it's you know, with, with a ton of volume attached to it. So usually you can make the case for the fights being super competitive, and I think it could be competitive, but just based on some, de- uh, you know, technical deficiencies on both sides and kind of in all four fighters, if you want to really look at it, um, a finish is most likely in, in both of them. Yeah, I mean, and when I look at the rest of this card, of course, also, you know, Neil Magny stepped up here on a little, basically seven days notice, replacing Jeff Neal, taking on Ian Gary. And, you know, Ian Gary's always been a guy that I've wanted to fade. I don't know if this is necessarily the option, but obviously a huge price tag that you got to pay for him. Um, you know, I, I mentioned about this on my podcast uh, yesterday. I said, you know, to me, the reason, the, the most interesting storyline on the prelims is obviously the return of Chris Weidman. I don't know what to expect out of Chris Weidman. I mean, typically when we see a fighter come back from that type of injury, they're just never the same. And Chris Weidman is 39 years old, but Brad Tavares on the other side, he's not a finisher. 
I mean, this is a guy that he's had, he's been in the UFC since 2010. He's never won a fight night bonus. Take that one. Yes. That's pretty crazy. It is pretty crazy. I mean, matchups are everything and timing's everything in this game. And uh, I, I think from a contrarian standpoint, getting aggressive over Tavares against the guy whose durability is in question. And when he does lose, he, he gets finished. It makes sense that perhaps the timing is now. Um, I'll probably sprinkle it for a live bet, you know, just from a prop betting standpoint, just because I do think that Weidman's probably far removed from his prime and also recovering from a massive, massive injury. So uh, you would think the stars are aligning for a finish for Brad Tavares, but it, he could just, it could just not happen. And, uh, you know, priced at 9,000, I was hoping he was going to be like 8,600. And then I was going to get like super aggressive. I'm like, yeah, I can see it happening because I do think that, Tavares, very hard to take down, and he's going to be the better striker in this matchup against a guy who's lost a step coming off a long layoff with a major injury. I, I was going to get aggressive, but at 9,000, it's kind of like, eh. I like other 9,000 options a lot more than him from a finishing standpoint. Uh, yeah, one of the questions we got is about ranking the 9K options. I'm going to tell you right now, Brad Tavares will be the last guy on my list at nine at 9,000. I mean, just it, – it's and, and look – We'll get more into it, but to me, it's more about the history of Brad Tavares and uh, maybe just hoping Chris Weidman is going to go lace up them wrestling shoes, as you as you like to say there. Uh, appreciate the super chat there from uh, Like Liker, as always, man. appreciate it, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about uh, what Tamon Blackshear is doing here, and uh, obviously, uh, that is going to be very interesting as he steps on the scale. One thing, by the way, me and Pete do want to know, do you like the show being on Thursday? You prefer the show being on Friday? Of course, uh, we had to do a show um, last two weeks on Thursday because of, of my uh, NFL preseason schedule. I actually head up to New York uh, tomorrow morning, but we do appreciate everyone tuning in. And also, uh, one other thing I'll mention on Game Theory is I think there's two fights that I look at if we're talking about constructing GPP lineups that, to me, are very critical. One of them is going to be the third fight of the night, and that's Andre Prochowski taking on GM3. I That, to me, I, and based on your reaction, I'm, I'm, you must be feeling the same thing, is that is a GPP fight this week. Yeah, 100%. And I like both guys. Like, I, I like the price tag associated with Petrovsky because of his massive takedown upside. He has submission skills as well. This is a guy in the Ultimate Fighter who looks really good, you know, from a wrestling standpoint and was somewhat of a gasser. It seems like he's kind of, you know, rounded out that game. And, you know, his uh, he's a little bit more efficient with things. But I do see some openings for his opponent, GM3, who is super inconsistent. And constantly just, you know, undervalued. Everybody thinks, like, you, you look at him, like, he, he wins fights he necessarily shouldn't. Um, but the one damn thing that he's good at is wrapping up the neck. And if you're leaving that <laughs> neck out there, as I do see on film, Andre Petrosky does, I can see a GM3 guillotine all day long. And, and that's, like, he's going to be my most aggressive underdog. But on the flip side, I think GM3's really lost a step, too. I mean, he got absolutely schooled against Joe Pfeiffer, who's a very dangerous fighter on the feet, in addition to being a very talented grappler. Um, Petrosky has the tools to win this fight. It's just if he goes out there and is inefficient at any moment and has any laps, you can see a GM3 round two, round three submission happen all day long. So I'm going to be aggressive on both. And, you know, I, I do think that this fight is pivotal for this for this slate. The other GPP fight for me is is I'm going to go to the fight that will be right before Tavares and Weidman, and, and that is Rodriguez and and Dennis. Just because of, I mean, look, I, I don't know how much you want to trust RoboCop in, in terms of if he doesn't lace up those grappling shoes and he he decides to have a little bit of striking match. Because I feel like if, if Dennis is going to pull off the upset, it is him knocking out Rodriguez probably early in the fight. So that, like, that to me, those are the two fights in terms of a GPP line of construction that – are going to be priorities to me, but obviously you, you look at Rodriguez, he's at 9,500. There's other high-end 9,000 options I would prefer to get to over him. I think it could be a very easy fight for, you know, Gregory Rodriguez. Like, it's a very easy fight. He goes out there, he shoots a takedown, he takes the back, he chokes out Dennis Tululin. Easy. The issue is he's a grappler who's fallen in love with his hands, and for whatever reason, I don't know if he's just hunting bonuses and that's why he's just constantly willing to engage in a striking matchup. But like he, he's not using his best skills out there. He's a fantastic striker, but his durability is in question. Sometimes he gets hit, and he has an off switch. 
And if Dennis Tallulah is going to do anything, he's going to throw bombs trying to knock you out because his grappling and it's mainly his jujitsu. It's lacking and it's lacking so much that Gregory Rodriguez can make this such an easy fight. Um, but he tends to like make you sweat a little bit if you put money on him. So I was hoping he was going to be like 9,000 or, or 9,100. And then I can make the argument of getting to him over some other 9,000 options. But I, I think that he wins this fight nine out of 10 times. It's just a matter of if he's stupid or not. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the one thing in mixed martial arts, and that's why I think it's one of the most unpredictable DFS sports out there just because of, as we always talk about, one punch, one takedown can, can really change everything. But let's get right into breaking down these fights. Of course, the main event, Bantamweight title on the line, Aljamain Sterling looking to make his fourth successful title defense as he is challenged by Sean O'Malley. He is a minus 250 betting favorite. Sean O'Malley coming in at plus 205. Of course, as we do this show, the lines are not out on FanDuel. They do come out uh, towards the end of the show. We'll give a, a quick breakdown of those FanDuel salaries. But over on DraftKings, Aljamain is eight. 8,900 and sugar is 7,300. And, you know, and, and Pete, I, I, I've talked about this throughout, you know, the past couple of years with Sean O'Malley is I think that Sean and the people around him have done an excellent job of giving him the right matchups. But now he's really in a situation where stylistically this is the, the, that bad matchup. But one of the things I did find interesting this week, listening to Ray Longo, of course, the head coach of Aljamain Sterling, he said, he goes, look, we don't think that, that O'Malley is the hardest hitter we have ever faced. But what we do think is what could give us problems is the length and accuracy that O'Malley brings. Yeah, it's the range. It's the timing. Um, it's the speed of O'Malley that I think separates him himself from the entire division, to be honest. His striking is just uh, on a completely different level. Um, it's his grappling defense that hasn't been tested against some of the best guys. Like if he had a matchup against Marab Dalishvili, you know, leading up to this fight, we, we would feel a lot more comfortable one way or another against Aljamain Sterling. Uh, Aljamain Sterling is a guy who spams punches and kicks wildly on the feet. Um, gets you to engage with them, and then shoots takedowns at a high, high volume. Um, he's somewhat inefficient with his takedowns, but when he does get you down, he's very, very good at controlling you. Um, he backpacks a lot of people. He can go out there and submit Corey Sanhagen very, very quickly in round one. He could do the same thing here against Sean O'Malley. We've also seen him just be willing to control and just out-grapple and out-maneuver Henry Cejudo, um, Peter Yan. So... I, I do think from a stylistic standpoint, if you put out everybody's skills, they would lean towards Aljamain Sterling in this matchup just because we have Sean O'Malley relatively untested in Aljamain Sterling's strengths. I do think that timing's everything. It's something I've been talking about for a long time. And I do think that the UFC would love nothing more than to see Sean O'Malley get the, get the win. Of course, um, at the end of the day, these guys are going to fight. And it's going to, you know, the, the big octagon, I think, will help Sean O'Malley here. Um, if this was an apex card or a smaller venue, I, I wouldn't like it. I think Sean O'Malley needs to be on his bicycle, moving around. He talked about it. Cannot let Sterling grab you. A lot easier said than done. I'm actually just, from a, a DFS construction standpoint, I'm always going to lean towards the grappler. So I'm probably going to be 60-40 leaning towards Aljamain Sterling um, from a DFS standpoint. But I will tell you that I am actually picking Sean O'Malley to upset and, and win the bantamweight title uh, over Aljamain Sterling. So I know it's a hot take. And, um, you know, from, from a skill standpoint and a resume standpoint, it doesn't make sense. But I do think that um, Marlon Marais showcased that on the feet, if this is on the feet, there are plenty of openings and plenty of mistakes that Aljamain Sterling makes uh, in the matchup against Piotr Jan in their first encounter. Piotr Jan was absolutely destroying Aljamain Sterling. And I do think that given the correct game plan and Sean O'Malley's preparation at one of the best gyms in the world, one of the most underrated gyms, the MMA lab and everybody associated with it, I, I think that he's going to be very, very prepared. Um, so I'm actually picking Sean O'Malley to, to win the main event. I feel like you might be on the opposite end of that, but from a DFS construction standpoint, I'm I'm basically targeting both sides because I feel like the fight will not go the distance. Somebody's finishing somebody in this matchup, 
Uh, Aljamain Sterling could go out there and, and submit them relatively quickly. Uh, but I do think that O'Malley finds, finds that uh, KO shot. Yeah, I'm on the other side in this matchup here, Pete. And, and look, you bring up a lot of great points. And, you know, I think one of the things when I think about the question marks heading into this fight and more of the question marks I would say I have on the Aljo side of the equation. First up comes to what is this weight cut like? We have seen him struggle to get down to 135. He's talked about leading up to this fight that, you know, 99.9%, this will be his last fight at 135 pounds. And he plans to move up to 145 pounds. And I do believe that Aljo may be the most disrespected champion in UFC history. And I think a lot of that has to do with how he won the title. But the fact is, if he gets this to the ground and he gets on the back of Sean O'Malley, it may be, he may only need one takedown. And that's me. Like when I was watching the countdown show, there was two takeaways I had. The first takeaway was there is literally zero mention of what Sean O'Malley is doing to get ready for the grappling aspect. And you being the fighter here, I think you know this very well. And, and the countless conversations I've had with fighters is how much of this camp was about the potential adversity that Sean O'Malley is going to have to deal with. The other thing that stuck out to me was his head coach, Tim Welch. And he said, we, he goes, a big emphasis for them has been, this is a 25-minute fight. You cannot go out there and blow your energy in 10 minutes. you got to be ready for 25 minutes. That, to me, was a little bit of a thing. Look, if you're playing... 20 lineups, 100 lineups, 150 lineups. You want to get to both sides of this equation. But you, as you always say, Pete, here on the show, your fear is the third-round finish because a third-round finish is not ideal in these five-round fights. Over on prize picks, I will tell you right now, I like the less than 65.5 significant strikes on Sean O'Malley. I like the under 16.5 fight time minutes on Sean O'Malley as well. Like If you're going to attack this fight on prize picks, that's where I would go on prize picks. And, and like I say, on prize picks, I know everyone wants to chase those those five player cards. Do two to three. That is going to really allow you to to make a profit over on prize picks. Yeah, I, I'm with you, and um, I, I do think that if people don't know who Tim Welch is, he was a damn good fighter himself, and, and he's a very good grappler. So I will tell you, as a striker, every camp that Sean O'Malley's been preparing, he's always been preparing on get ups and takedown defense and getting on a horrible positions and now they really really emphasize it for this camp and for the past 10 months or so leading up to Aljamain Sterling does that necessarily just completely eliminate the chances of getting taken down no but I, I do think that you can make your opponents pay you can work back to your feet a little bit more a little bit better um I would really love to see footage of Aljamain Sterling and Marab Dalashvili grappling because I think like that would be like some of the best you know, film yeah. to watch. And also I would love to see like Aljo deal with the adversity of somebody getting back to his feet, you know, so often not saying that Sean O'Malley can do so, but it would just give me a little bit of insight where I could see, okay, well in this situation, perhaps we, we have O'Malley, you know, being able to capitalize. Um, I don't think O'Malley's grappling is that bad. Uh, it's something that he's been working on forever, but I just think that Aljo is so strong in that skill set that it just doesn't matter. Like he went out there and made quick work of, of Corey Sanhagen, who's now all of a sudden Corey Nurmagomedov against Rob Font. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So styles make fights. I don't like the idea of him, you know, talking about moving up. I, I, I do think that cutting a lot of weight, you know, can, can lead to a, uh, a weaker chin, obviously. And uh, somebody with the speed, the timing of Sean O'Malley can, can capitalize on something early. So I'm saying a, a first or second round KO for Sean O'Malley is my call. But uh, the, the main reason why I'm getting behind O'Malley this week is I don't like a lot of underdogs. So like I'm, I'm really like convincing myself that this is possible and this is going to be it because I look on the rest of the card. I'm like, what am I going to give it, you know, favorites for every, every matchup. I just, I don't see many underdogs coming through this week and I've kind of had a gut feeling O'Malley does it. So I'm just going to ride with it. Yeah, I'm with you on there. Uh, a couple of questions. I mean, look, everyone's asked about ownership. Look, I expect both these guys to be one, two in terms of highest owned on this card. But, you know, you're going, I, more people are going to want to get to Aljamain Sterling because of the grappling upside that he has in this one. Anthony, uh, I would not stack the main event. And the reason I would not stack the main event is I don't think this fight hits round four. I, I don't know if this fight hits round three. I think it's either Sean O'Malley catches Aljamain Sterling, like you said, within 10 minutes, or Aljo gets on the back. And look, if he gets on the back of Sean O'Malley, I think it's over. 
Yeah, and I don't necessarily know if he'll even want to submit them. He might want to pound them out. You know, just have the hooks in and flatten them out and, and pound them out. So, uh, yeah, it's not a stacking week for me. It would have to be a 25-minute striking affair in, in which I would be heavily favoring Sean O'Malley. Let's move over to the co-main event, women's strawweight title on the line as Zane Wiley defends her title against Amanda Lamos. Amanda Lamos is a plus 250 betting underdog. The champion is minus 320. Wiley, 9,200 on DK, 7,000 on for Lamos on DraftKings. You know, one of the things about Pete about Amanda Lamos, like I didn't realize this until the other day, she's 36 years old. I mean, this is, you know, when we talk about women's mixed martial arts, I mean, you know, yes, there's some outliers out there. You know, you think of uh, someone like a Holly Holm, um, you know, someone like a Chris Cyborg, but generally speaking, we, we don't see it here. And, you know, I look at Amanda Lamos and I think one of my concerns about her in this matchup, Pete, is there are times, especially early on in fights, kind of like Cheeto Vera, where she is a very slow starter with not a lot of volume. Yeah. I mean, slow starters are tough, right? Like I'm always going to favor minute winners out there, guys that go out there or women that go out there and, uh, you know, are, are, you know, being a little bit more active, attempting more things whether they're being efficient or not um and i just can't get behind uh amanda lamos here outside of just landing a, a shot and, and testing the durability of Li Zhang. i see holes in her grappling i see holes in her striking and i think that a fighter in Li Zhang over 25 minutes can you know really impose her will and uh end up being victorious here so i like Li Zhang here at 9200 quite a bit yeah, I, I like Whaley as well, and I think it's, I mean, and you bring up great points. I mean, she might be able to catch Whaley with, with a strike, but, you know, to me, and, and I was talking about this uh, on a podcast earlier this week, and by the way, if you, you didn't check my podcast out, I appreciate you hit over the MMA Report podcast. I just got some interesting text messages last night about some things I said on the podcast, but but to me, it's when you look at Amanda Lamos and the resume, that to me is the thing that really sticks out to me is like, it's not a great strength of schedule when you talk about her victories inside the UFC. And I mean, yes, she could catch her, but for some reason, and I mentioned this prop bet, I'll pull up what the line was here. Way Lee wins via submission was the prop that stuck out to me. I want to say it was like, I want to say it was two and a half to one. Let me, uh, let me double check here. I want to make sure I give the, uh, I like that prop as well. That's, that's kind of what I'm suspecting. And, and I think Whaley Zhang's takedowns are going to be, you know, very, I think she's going to be successful. Um, I think she's going to get the control and then that's the best way to eliminate Amanda Lamosh's power, uh, incorporate some ground and pound. And I do think she's going to hit her with a rear naked choke. So I like Wei Li Zhang to win via submission as well. Yeah, just looking over at DraftKings Sportsbook, uh, currently plus 400. Uh, when they open the lineup of Whaley wins via submission, plus 700. So you can see people uh, jumped on that when they saw that number. And that, to me, was there. I mean, but look, if you want to take a, a shot on Amanda Lamos, to me, you look at her. I mean, even Amanda Lamos wins by TKOKO, plus 450. I mean, I, if you're going to to lay some money on that fight, I would much rather just take Amanda Lamos wins via TKOKO than just taking her on the money line at plus 250. Next up, we got a welterweight matchup as we've got Ian Gary taking on Neil Magny. Of course, Neil Magny stepping up to replace Jeff Neal in this matchup. Send those healing vibes out to Jeff Neal. A lot of things going on with him. Ian Gary is approaching a 5-1 to one betting favorite. He's minus 490 as we do this show here. Neil Magny plus 370. And of course, over on DraftKings on the DFS side, Ian Gary 9,600. Neil Magny 6,600. I feel like every time we, we talk about Ian Gary fight, I think we're both kind of on the same page of like there's gonna come a point where we want to fade this guy and you know the one thing that i can't get out of my mind with ian gary is when song Kanan dropped him now he ended up you know f- finishing that fight in the third round but it, it's one of these fights where you know look neil magny's gatekeeper i think we both know that but mm-hmm. to me if neil magny is going to win this fight to me it's about him making this an ugly fight where he puts ian gary's back up against the fence and potentially takes him down yeah, I mean, Magny has to be successful with his takedowns to win this fight. I mean, he's been a volume striker, and then he started to lean on his wrestling, something that was a flaw in his game. And he his length gives, gives people problems. And then when he can mix in takedowns, he can win rounds. I, I just think it's going to be very difficult to do so against a very exciting prospect in Ian Gary. I was going to be picking Jeff Neal against Ian Gary. I will tell you, I think that there is – a particular matchup for Ian Gary that's going to be very difficult. It's against a, you know, a powerful, powerful striker um, who's willing to engage on the feet. And uh, 
somebody that we can get behind. And I think that, you know, Jeff Neal is the guy. I mean, look what he did to Vicente Luque. Look what he's done to multiple people within the division. Um, I think that Ian Gary does make mistakes in his striking. I don't predict that Neil Magny is going to be the guy to figure him out. Um, you know, appreciative that Magny stepping in to, to fill in for, for uh, Jeff Neal. But I do think that, you know, the, the 9,000 price tag makes sense. 9,600 is a little aggressive. I, you know, Magny's a, a tough guy to put away in a sense from a, a KO, you know, TKO standpoint. But I do think that Ian Gary is going to find a finish one way or another over Neil Magny. Um, I just, why, why pay 9,600 for Ian Gary if I really believe that uh, Whaley Zhang can do it when she's priced at 9,200? So um, I'll be mixing and matching, putting Ian Gary in there at 9,600. He's, he's going to be my play for this fight. Um, Neil Magny, outside of just an absolute punt play and who, who could possibly score enough in a loss, I just don't like his previous fight against Philip Rowe. I didn't think that they both looked good in the fight. He went 0-3 in a takedown department, scored only 65. And now you're going up against Ian Gary, who I think is much more well-rounded than Phil Rowe and much much more dangerous. So the plays Ian Gary, um, I, I don't like Neil Magny in this matchup. You know, when you look at when Neil Magny has gone up against the elite of this division, you know, he has not been able to get a victory. And to me, if Ian Gary wants to show that he is an elite member of this division, it's about going out there and finishing Neil Magny. Since you're looking at going back to 2017, RDA lost for Neil Magny. He was submitted in that one. Santiago Ponzi in 2018, he was knocked out in that one. Michael Chiesa was a decision loss. Shavkat Rachmanov, submission loss. Gilbert Burns. Submission loss. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily see a, a submission going here for Ian Gary. Um, if he does, I think that would be very much a surprise. But, like, to me, I think this is Ian Gary's fight to lose in this one. Of course, uh, if you got any questions, be sure to hit those up, uh, whether it's in Discord or right here on YouTube. Uh, Danny, I do see your questions. We'll talk about your question towards the end of the show. Let's move over to our next matchup. Of course, this was supposed to be Mario Batista versus Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt had to pull out due to a injury, and now stepping in is Damon Blackshear, who, of course, we hit on last week, and you know, getting that third twister submission in UFC history. Returning now seven days later, I want to see what he looks like on the scale, Pete, tomorrow. That's going to be the interesting thing, see what he looks like here. But when you look at the betting side of this, Mario Batista minus 225, plus 185 for DeMond Blackshear. Mario Batista, 9,100. DeMond Blackshear, 7,100. You know, you mentioned about Sean O'Malley, which, of course, you know, he does do some cross-training. And if anyone noticed, one of the things that Sean O'Malley said this week was he thinks Cody avoided this L because he thought Mario was going to take him out. Yeah, I, I think he's right, though. I mean, the, the guys that are training with Sean O'Malley are, are absolutely skilled in all areas. The Mario Batista, Marcus McGee last week looked amazing. So I, I think that Mario Batista is, you know, the favorite for a reason in this matchup against Damon Blackshear, who's looking to stay active. I get it. Uh, Damon looked really good in the matchup against uh, – uh, against um, who did he fight last week? It doesn't even show it on Fantasy Cruncher. I forget who we fought last week, but he hit Jose Johnson. Thank you. Jose Johnson on short notice um, with a twister. And uh, it was relatively easy. Uh, I had 100% of DeMond Blackshear, so that worked out really well. Having 100% of Marcus McGee didn't necessarily work out in my favor because there were other scores that weren't as that, that weren't as pricey as Marcus McGee. So um, the idea worked, but, you know, all the 9,000 options crushed last week. So, uh, I think in this matchup, Damon Blackshear has been a guy who can get takedowns and is better on the feet than he used to be. I know he hasn't been finished, but I actually think that he might end up getting finished against Mario Batista. I, I've seen just body language. I've seen him face adversity, and I actually like the skills that Mario Batista has in all areas. I know that Batista has been submitted against Corey Sanhagen in his debut and then lost via KO, TKO to, to Trevin Jones, which I find as a complete fluke. I think Mario Batista gets this done. He's one of my favorite 9,000 options, despite DeMond killing it for us last week. Uh, I mean, I, I may, maybe you want to ride the momentum of a guy who just went in there and made quick work last week, but I, I'm going to side with Mario Batista here to get his hand raised. And I actually think that he does find the finish over a guy who hasn't been finished in the UFC against uh, DeMond Blackshear. Just knowing how some of these situations do kind of happen is, you know, it was likely a situation where the UFC went up to Blackshear and his management, his coaches, right after that fight and said, hey, 
you have any interest in stepping up here and, and fighting next week? So, you know, but do want to see what it looks like on the scale. And, you know, Pete, you can talk about this. You're always trying to peak for a certain day. I mean, what do you think the biggest challenge is of him fighting, you know, two times within a seven-day period? It's got to be the weight cut, right? Like, you know, it's it's the weight cut for sure. Um, hopefully he's not – is it at a catch weight or is it at 135? I'm pretty sure it's at 135. If it's at 135, again, I don't like the back-to-back weight cuts, um, which could result in being more fatigued than he's used to, could result in him not being able to take shots. It also comes down to how much he's cutting. I mean, he could just be like – 10 pounds away and that's okay it's still like a lot on your body even though the the fight was just so easy it's just it all comes down to how much of a cut does he have i'm gonna lean in the mario batista's you know direction just because of all everything i just laid out and i do not like the back-to-back cuts never mind all the skills and on the fight tape that i'm seeing openings for mario batista 9100 i think is a good price yeah, I mean, everything I'm seeing is at 135 pounds. Uh, next up, let's go on to the opening fight of the pay-per-view. You got Marlon Chito Vera taking on Pedro Munoz. Chito is a minus 200 betting favorite, plus 170 for Pedro Munoz. Vera, 8,600 on DK. Munoz, 7,600. And uh, Chito Vera is probably the biggest Sean O'Malley fan coming up on Saturday night, even though he's coming off a loss against Corey Sanhagen. Corey Sanhagen may not like hear us, but you're hearing O'Malley saying he wants his first title defense to be against uh, Chito Vera here. But, you know... I, I, I feel like we could just uh, go back to some old shows when we talk about Cheeto Vera. We're going to talk about the same thing here, Pete. The guy's just a slow starter. Yeah, he's a slow starter, and he's in a 15-minute fight now. It, it makes me want to pick Pedro Munoz. I'm telling you right now, it makes Pedro Munoz much more appealing than any normal situation. Pedro Munoz, those good hand combinations, has great leg kicks, very good submission skills, tough to put away. Marlon Vera, very good striking, solid submission skills, slow starter. Um, It's a guy that needs to get back to being aggressive in 15 minutes. And I don't necessarily love the fight from a DFS aspect. You have 8,600 for Marlon Vera going up against a very, very durable, you know, Pedro Munoz. Um, 7,600 for Pedro Munoz to go out there and possibly win a lower volume affair. I just don't see 100-point ceiling from either one of these guys. And you don't necessarily need 100 points if he's one of the very few underdogs to come through on the slate. I don't know, man. I, the, the 15 minutes is the only only reason that I want to get behind Pedro Munoz. But as far as skills and range and just kind of, you know, momentum within their career, we did pick Pedro Munoz. I picked Pedro Munoz to beat Chris Gutierrez, and I looked smart in that situation. But styles make fights. I think it's going to be a close fight. I do still think Marlon Vera wins the bout, but – as a considerable favorite, he should do a lot better, you know, in this matchup than I think he's going to. I, I think he's going to play with his food a little bit, make things a little bit too competitive where it's 29-28 decision win for Marlon Vera. I'm just going to skip the fight from a DFS aspect. If I get to anything, it would be much more of a Pedro Munoz underdog decision win. But uh, I'm just going to hope that my other underdogs come through. Um, but, yeah, it, it's – it's still a Marlon Vera pick for me, despite the uh, despite the uncertainty in 15 minutes. Like to me, if I'm in the corner of Pedro Munoz, and to me, the mindset this entire training camp has got to be: we got to go right when the referee says let's get it on. I mean, it, just because you know Cheeto is notoriously a slow star, so if you can bank that first round, now you only got to win round two or round three, and we know Cheeto Vera is typically a very strong round three performer. You know, like in terms of a GPP play, it's not a fight I really love in terms of GPP, but like as I'm looking at current ownership projections and I'm looking for leverage spots right now Pedro Munoz is one of three leverage spots I really see on this card as we sit here on a Thursday we'll see where those ownership uh, projections go by the way I do want to mention on the Ian Gary fight time over on price picks I do like the more than 12 and a half fight time minutes just because I have a feeling that thing's going to hit um, late maybe goes to the decision just because uh, of Neil Maddy, but we'll see what happens there. Now let's move over to the prelims. We've got the return of Chris Weidman coming back two years after that brutal leg injury, now taking on Brad Tavares. Of course, uh, both these guys, veterans of the sport here. Brad Tavares is a minus 270 betting favorite, plus 220 for Chris Weidman. Tavares is 9,000 on DK, 7,200 
for Chris Weidman. And this is one of those ones of, A, Brad Tavares is not a finisher. He's he, I think he has two finish wins inside the UFC. And I mentioned a note, this is a guy that just he just doesn't finish fights. I mean, that, that to me is what's concerning. On the Chris Weidman side of the equation, Pete, is like, I don't know what to expect out of Chris Weidman. You look at when guys have come back from this type of injury, they're they're typically, you know, it is the downside of their career. We do not see them come back from that. He's 39 years old. And, I mean, look, this is a combat sports game, Pete. You know it. I know it. If I'm Brad Tavares, you know what I'm attacking right when the fight starts. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd call it cheap, call it whatever. I'm doing the same damn thing. But, you know, he'd have to switch stances and target the rear leg. But I I do think that both fighters are intriguing from a contrarian standpoint. Uh, I think that you can get behind a Brad Tavares KO due to the durability questions surrounding Chris Weidman in addition to the the layoff and and the injury. Um, Weidman has lost via KO, TKO against Uriah Hall, Dominic Reyes, Jacare Souza, Gegard Mousasi, Yoel Romero, Luke Rockhold. Goodness gracious. He's been finished a lot. And if Brad Tavares is going to get a finish, you would like to think it is the timing. The stars are aligning here for him to do it against Chris Weidman. So uh, I'm going to get Brad Tavares in a contrarian build just in case that he does find the chin or he does end up walking away with a knockout. But you do have Tavares coming off a KO, TKO loss himself to Bruno Silva, who's a very, very heavy hitter, relatively inconsistent. But Tavares in his losses, he's lost uh, to Bruno Silva via KO, TKO, Edmund Shabazian, and then Robert Whitaker. Very talented fighters, dangerous strikers. Weidman at one point was knocking people out due to his just well-rounded skill set, making everybody worry about his wrestling, and then just damaging them with his hands. The issue is Brad Tavares' takedown defense is phenomenal, and he has excellent leg dexterity where he can defend single-leg takedowns better than most people. Um, great instincts in the takedown defense department, finding underhooks, reversing cage position, you know, getting back to the center of the octagon. I mean, it's a, it's a tough matchup for Wyman to return, to be honest, but I, I do think that anybody within – rankings is going to be difficult for Wyman at this stage of the game. So um, I will be sprinkling KO, TKO props on both of them because they're both coming off of a ton of uh, damage within their career, but more so for Weidman. Um, But I do think that Brad Tavares is just going to be a little bit better than Wyman. I know Weidman's, you know, training every day with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I, I like it, but I kind of don't like that style to complement his already – Okay, striking, but phenomenal wrestling. Um, I wish he would have gone with – it's hard for me to hate on him working with Wonderboy Thompson, but I don't like him to go out there and try to become Wonderboy from a karate standpoint. I just think it's a little silly. I didn't like it for Chase Hooper. Um, but, yeah, it's a Brad Tavares decision win for me here at 9,000. Can't wait to break down Chase Hooper versus Jordan Levin in a couple weeks with you. I can't wait. Oh, God. <laughs> I hate that fight so much. That's really a fight? Yeah, it is literally a fight. It has been booked. Oh, my gosh. I need to get, like, extra large coffees when I have to break down these shitty-ass fights. Some of these fights that I don't like, either one of them. And then what's the matchmaker? What are they doing? I feel, I I feel like the matchmakers are trolling us. I really do. I, I really so. do. I really do, man. I might have to add something to my coffee when I break that thing down. This is my thing in terms of Chris Weidman. I want to see him lace up these wrestling shoes and take this one to the mat. You know, and, and obviously you brought up a great point. Brad Tavares has shown great ability to stop the takedown. Now there, there have been a couple of fights where he has been taken down uh, multiple times, and you know it's it's just more of like when I see a nine thousand price tag on Brad Tavares, and just looking at his history. It's just very tough to get to that. I think this thing's going 15 minutes, by the way. That's why I like the more than 12 and a half fight time minutes on, on Brad Tavares over there on prize picks. Uh, I don't I don't mind going more than 40 and a half significant strikes on Brad Tavares either. Um, I, I Look, I don't feel good in saying this. My pick will be Chris Weidman. I, I, I don't oh, feel good saying it. I don't feel good saying it. I don't feel good yeah, saying it, Pete. But How's he going to do it? Decision? Yeah, decision, and he laces up them wrestling shoes. He's got that United States wrestling logo on his back. Hey, remember <laughs> who you are, Chris. Remember who you are. Do not try to get into a kickboxing matchup with Brad Tavares. Take his ass to the ground. 
Tavares is so good in the takedown defense department. That's why, like, I get it. It's just, like, I think that he's going to be struggling to find takedowns. And I don't think his grappling's what it used to be. I, I liked him when he was up in New York training with, you know, the Sarah Longo team a lot, complimenting it by by cross-training with the Henzo Gracie guys. I, I like that. Um, you're, you're with – Well, he may – he, 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 well, he moved for family decisions. I, I get it. I'm just because you remember, remember one boy is his brother-in-law. Yeah, I know it's so crazy, but I just I don't know. I I don't think he's going to be successful with the takedowns. I think it's going to be a tentative fight for both guys who are just coming off of KO TKO defeats, and I think it's going to be a Tavares decision win. Look, I, I in terms of like a GPP, if you go with the mindset of just fading this fight, I have no issue with that, just because of what that fantasy potential upside score could be. Uh, let's move over. Next up, we got Gregor Rodriguez taking on Dennis Tuluan. Tuluan is plus two seventy five, minus three fifty for RoboCop. Rodriguez ninety five hundred DK. Denise is sixty seven hundred. You know, I mentioned this earlier on the show, Pete. This is one of those fights that I do look at as, as a GPP fight. I mean, look, if you're Rodriguez, you're a grappler. Do not try to do. Don't leave that chin up in the air because if he does, even though I mean I'll take some stabs on Tuluan in this spot because of that knockout ability. But this should be Rodriguez's fight with the proper game plan. Yeah, it's a ten percent Tuluan play for me, um, it, just in hopes that he finds the chin of Gregory Rodriguez, who was knocked out. Um, but like I think that Gregory Rodriguez is going to have the much more well-rounded striking has the wrestling upside, has the takedown city upside, and the submission finish upside. So, like, I, I really tell you, nine times out of ten, Gregory Rodriguez wins this fight. It's a beautiful bounce-back fight for him. And Tululin just has horrible grappling instincts and horrible grappling deficiencies. So, um, you know, the, the safe play is just play the under, but it's a Gregory Rodriguez play for me, a salary play for me. Um I like some other 9,000 options equally, uh, um, and they come at a price discount. So 9,500, you know, I, I really like him because I think it's it's safe, but I just don't like his fight IQ at times. That's the really only reason why I, I wouldn't lock him in, ju- just given his fight IQ mistakes. Um, but, yeah, it's a Gregory Rodriguez play for me. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's about, like I said, it's about him utilizing that grappling. Over at Prize Picks, don't really love either one of the props that are out there on him, which is uh, 28 and a half significant strikes, and that fantasy score is 116 and a half. At that fantasy score, 116 and a half, you need a first-round stoppage, you need a takedown. I mean, you can get to that number, but it's still uh, kind of an accurate number over there. Then uh, our next two fights are going to be fights that are the finale of the Ultimate Fire. Of course, this season, Team McGregor versus Team Channel, or Team Channel or just whoop that ass all season long if anyone watched it. And I will say this, like if you did not watch the Ultimate Fighter, I get it, I understand it. But if you want to go back and watch any fight, go back and watch Kurt Hallbaugh and Jason Knight. Those two boys put on a show. That is the one fight you're going to watch back anyone. Go back and watch this fight. Of course, that was in the semifinals where Kurt won to advance on to take on Austin Hubbard here. Of course, uh, both these guys getting back into the UFC as uh, Austin is a minus 165 betting favorite, plus 140. For Kurt uh, Hubbard, eighty four hundred on DK. Kurt is seventy eight hundred. Had a chance to uh, talk to uh, Austin a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you know it was uh, when I did the interview. We couldn't, you know, I didn't know who, who his opponent was going to be, and so I had to do the interview, not not trying to spill any beans because I know what there is a major. I I know back in the day um, there was a fire that I knew that was on it. And if you uh, had any spoilers, if you revealed results, it was a $5 million penalty that if you were on the show, I'm sure it's probably more than that at this point. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting and Austin talked about, because Austin took a lot of criticism for his matchup against Roosevelt Robertson in the semifinals. And he's like, man, he goes, I was training with the guy every day. Like, he knew my tricks. I knew his tricks. You know, and that's kind of why the fight led here. But, uh, you know, this is one of those matchups where, like, you mentioned about there's not a lot of underdogs that you look at this week, but Kurt is still one of those guys I do look at as an underdog, even though I do favor Austin in this matchup. Yeah, I, I think you have to look at Kurt Hollibaugh from a KO, TKO standpoint. He has excellent hands. His hands are really good. I mean, he digs to the body well. He throws volume combinations. Uh, he will stay in the pocket and trade. I think that his uh, striking defense is lacking in a way, but he bites down on that mouthpiece and – you know, just throws more. So he'll throw more 
to be, make you stop and shell up. Um, you know, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt too, but I do think that he can easily be controlled in this matchup. And the versatility of Austin Hubbard is what's making me pick Austin Hubbard. Um, I like the power. I like the the combinations that Hollabot throws. But I think from a skill set standpoint, Hubbard just checks more boxes for me. And from a fight IQ standpoint, I think that Hubbard's going to go out there and put together a strong performance. I mean, he trains, you know, at team elevation. Uh, he's three and four in the UFC. You have Hollabot, who's winless in the UFC at zero and four. Um, you know, I, I think that Hollabot, outside of a KO TKO, is just going to lose this fight. And uh, he may have some more damaging combinations, but over 15 minutes, I expect uh, Hubbard to, to put together a strong performance. And uh, I like him here. I actually really like him here to, to find takedowns, um, to have a ton of control time, to work towards a KO or TKO or possibly a submission finish. Um, so, yeah, I like Austin Hubbard here. He, he's going to be a guy at, you know mid-price that I'm going to get behind. I, I recognize what Hollabaugh brings to the table. I mean, he's knocked out plenty of people that I know. And, uh, you know, that power's always live to pull off an upset. But it's going to be an Austin Hubbard play for me here at 8400. Yeah, I, I don't mind what you're talking about there. I mean, if he goes take down around, I mean, like when I'm looking at if you were going to go up there against someone like a, a, a you know, a Kurt Hallbot, you know, look, you, you don't want to get into a striking matchup. I mean, that that is, you know, the, and, and he will walk through punches as, as Andrew talked about it. And you saw that fight against Jason Knight. And I'll say this. I hope Jason Knight gets an opportunity in the UFC after going out there and doing what he did. I mean, I would imagine he's going to get another opportunity here. But uh, the other one is the bantamweight finale as you got Brad Katona taking on Cody Gibson. Uh, Cody Gibson, a plus 142 betting underdog, minus 170 for Katona. Katona, 8,500 on DK. And for Cody Gibson, 7,700 here. Uh, Cody is a guy that I remember talking to probably about, I don't know, I guess it was probably about a year ago. And this was a guy that was literally just like, he's like, I'm taking every opportunity I can get. And he goes, it doesn't matter where it is. I'm going to take the opportunity. And, and he made it very clear. His mindset was to get back to the UFC. Yeah, I mean, good on him. I mean, he, he looked good in the in the Ultimate Fighter. Um capitalizing on on a mistake that that happened of a slip uh, i do think that this is a very intriguing matchup one where there is some bad blood and you have you know clear grappling upside for brad katona who likes to take people down and control them um i do think that despite the the grappling pedigree of cody gibson he's going to want to keep the fight on the feet and just throw more damaging combinations and uh you know, make this, if this goes 15 minutes, be an argument of, you know, damage versus control. So I'm going to say that Brad Katona is going to up the takedown uh, potential in this matchup, look for control time, work towards a potential finish, just blend things a little bit better than Cody Gibson. But in both, just like the main event and co-main event, I don't mind getting to the underdogs in these ultimate fighter finales. I mean, they know each other pretty well. They know strengths, they know weaknesses. They are relatively comparable. So like you you can say and you can see like paths to victory for all these underdogs. Um, I, again, I, I'm going to side with the favorite in Brad Katona. I think the mid price of Hubbard and Katona just kind of like is screaming to me here on a week where I'm not in love with a lot of underdogs. I'm still going to side with Katona's grappling upside to win a decision here. Yeah, I mentioned to kind of maybe see if Price Picks put a takedown prop on Brad Katona. That's going to be one that's going to really stick out to me uh, if we get to Saturday and there is one there. Next up, we got Andre Petrovsky taking on GM3. Petrovsky is a minus 240 betting fair, plus 200 for GM3. 8,800 for Petrovsky on DK, 7,400 for Mearshart. And one of the things I think you got to talk about is Petrovsky knows Joe Pfeiffer. You know, those two guys are, are there in that Philly area, so obviously he's going to lay into it. But like you mentioned earlier on the show, Pete, like when you think about GM3, this is a guy that – Every time he's in an underdog position, it's someone we're looking at because we just know if somehow he can get his hands around his opponent's neck, he's got a chance to finish the fight. Yeah, I, I would agree. And anytime you are willing to engage in grappling against GM3, he's he's like, you know, please, please. He welcomes it um, just because he has such a diverse submission skill set. Um, he can get out muscled. And I think that he's going to get out-muscled early against Andre Petrosky, who has very explosive takedowns, explosive hand combinations. Um, you, you have Gerald Mearshart, more of the consistent fighter, who will slide at, who will fight at a slower pace and uh, will just always be there from the opening bell until the, the final bell sounds. And if you have cardio questions or you just get a little bit reckless, he will capitalize. 
And the one thing I was, you know, I want to pick Andre Petrosky at 8,800. I do. And I'm going to be like a 60-40 split uh, just because of Petrosky's tremendous takedown upside, who he can take down Gerald Mearshart. Uh, he went 8 of 11 takedowns against Wellington Terman, who's a very dangerous Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner as well. Not nearly the finisher that G- DM3 is. Um, but anytime somebody has eight minutes of control time in three of their fights, I'm going to circle him. And I circled Andre Petrosky because I do think that he can go out there and just blanket Mearshart. Uh, the issue is, is on the Ultimate Fighter, he left his neck out there. And he's been doing tons of grappling competitions you know, submitting Eric Anders and, you know, beating Phil Hawes and all these other, you know, MMA fighters. So I, I think that his confidence is sky high. The momentum's clearly on Petrosky's side, who's 4-0 in the UFC. You got GM3 looking career worst against Joe Pfeiffer, who's just very, very dominant. Went out there through ridiculous, ridiculously powerful combinations, uh, shrugged off Mearshart and finished them early in round one. But just because Pfeiffer did it doesn't mean that Andre Petrosky's going to go out there and do it. Uh, I do think that there is some insight, but you have to put some respect on the the guillotines and just any anything uh, regarding that head and arm position that GM three possesses. So I'm um, the more I the more I think about it, and the more fight film I see, the more I see Petrosky fighting guillotines against Wellington Terman, and then I see it also. Um, you know, in that Hu Yao Zhang fight and then on the ultimate fighter makes me believe that, uh, Jared, uh, Gerald Mearshart finds the neck training at kill cliff FC. I think that he does find the neck. So at 7,400, he's going to be one of my few underdog plays, but you know, basically I like both fighters for the DFS slate. I, I think it's going to be a massive score one way or another, but I will pick the upset that GM three submits Andre Petrosky. Yeah, and when you talk about leverage plays this week, to me, you, you got to look at uh, GM3 with what we're seeing of ownership projections right now. To me, he's one of three leverage plays. The other ones being Pedro Munoz and Kurt Hallball will be the other leverage plays I'm currently looking at as we sit here on a Thursday afternoon. Now we got uh, our first two fights tonight are both a pair of female matchups as we've got uh, Natalia Silva taking on Andrea Lee, uh, minus 360 for Silva, Lee plus 280, 9400 for Silva on DK, and Lee is $6,800. Uh, I I think I'm at this point with Andrea Lee, Pete, where it's just I'm just fading her at this point. Yeah, I think it's a gut check performance and a gut check fight for uh, Natalia Silva because I think Andrea Lee is going to bring it. She talked about it in some interviews where she's going to be so aggressive and she kind of spams, you know, striking on the feet. She throws tons of volume. She will go to the takedown well. She'll basically exhaust herself and do everything she can to win a fight. The issue is that she gets, you know, lit up like a Christmas tree on, on the feet. Uh, she's ineffective with some of her striking, and volume does not, you know, does not take precedent over damage. And I think that Natalia Silva is clearly going to be the more efficient striker going in there, landing the better shots, uh, defending takedowns. She's going to have to defend a lot, similar to how she did against Jasmine Jasuda Vicious, where she defended 10, um, she defended six. I'm sorry. And then six takedowns she defended against Teresa Bleda, who's pretty similar to, to Andrea Lee from a grappling standpoint. Um, I actually can see Natalia Silva losing a round here and this coming down to the third round. And it'd be very competitive because Andrea Lee's fought very, very tough competition. But everything I'm seeing from Natalia Silva looks like a championship contender. I think that her strength of schedule, her last fight was her her lowest opponent victoria leonardo and that's why she went out there and finished her in round one but teresa bleda pretty solid jasmine jasuda vicious pretty solid uh you you see what she did jasmine jasuda vicious did to um uh what what was her opponent um not macy barber the uh well I, i can't think of her name right now but it was a very very high profile win for jasmine jasuda vicious and um, I think that Natalia Silva is just checking more boxes for me at 9,400. I like her a lot. And uh, I, I think that I'm going to just fade the price tag a little bit because I think it's going to go long and I think it's going to be a decision win. So at 9,400, I'm okay with getting away from it a little bit. And then the other female matchup, the opening fight of the fight card, you got Kareem Silva taking on Marina Moroz. Moroz is plus 125, minus 150 for Silva. Silva, 8,300, and for Marina Moroz, she is 7,900, Pete. Yeah, I mean, like, Marina Moroz is a fighter I want to get behind, 
um, because I think that she is an underdog from American Top Team who is going to be well-schooled coming up in this matchup against Kareen Silva. Kareen Silva, a very, very you know dangerous fighter for the division. I think that Kareem might just be too strong now. And they did fight in the past, and Marina Moroz was able to submit her. But I, I think that, you know, Kareen Silva is going to be a little bit stronger than Marina Moroz in this matchup. Uh, she can get takedowns. They both can get takedowns. Uh, Kareen Silva, more of a, a quick finisher, throws heavy shots on the feet. Her cardio is, is definitely a question mark here up against Marina Moroz, who is a very steady competitor and is not one to finish. So I, I think it's going to be a long fight that goes 15 minutes. And in 2023, I, I do think that the more powerful and more dangerous athlete is going to be Kareem Silva, despite my – I hate picking against fighters that are a part of American Top Team. But I, I'm still going to be picking Kareem Silva here at 8,300. Yeah, I'd be picking Kareem Silva as well. But, I mean, look, when it comes to female uh, mixed martial arts, it's never a bad idea to take a sprinkle on one of these underdogs just because you know how it goes here. Let's Pete, let's get right into our straight-up fight picks. You're not DFS or betting-related, just straight-up picks here. Uh, we've already talked about who our picks are in the main event, but we'll go here. Give me Aljo. Yeah, I'm going I'm going Sean O'Malley. Uh, give me Wei Lee. Wei Lee. I would go Gary. Gary. Batista. Batista. Cheeto. Cheeto. Underdog number one, Chris Weidman. Boris. <laughs> uh, give me Gregory Rodriguez. Gregory Rodriguez. Uh, give me Hubbard. Hubbard. Katona. Katona. Petrosky. GM3. And then I'm going to go both Silvas in the uh, first two fights. Yes, Silva's for me as well. Uh, let's get into uh, some questions here. We'll first uh, get over to uh, Discord here. Uh, value plays underneath AK. I mean, look, uh, to me, you look at both the underdogs in, in the main event just because of, of finishing upside. Uh, but when I look at other ones that, that I look from a GPP option, GM3, um, would be probably the top GPP option, but uh, that, that's a boom-bust play. Yeah, 100%. So, uh GM3 is a boom-bust play for me. If you look at boom-bust, Sean O'Malley is a boom-bust play. Um, yeah, outside of that, it's the sit like who within the under 8,000 range is like a finisher that you, you think can actually finish. I, I just don't see it besides O'Malley and Mearshart. Um, maybe it's Amanda Lamos. I, yeah. I hate it, though. Yeah, like there was this question to scored, and I'm, I'm going to kind of go deeper into scored on this question, but to mention yeah. here, it said, if you're able to build one lineup this weekend, what would it be and why? Let me just say this. To me, if I'm just doing one lineup, and let's just say it's GPP, because if it's cash, then it's a different thought process. But for me, GPP, I'm looking at either either Aljo or Wei Lee. That's probably where I'm starting with one of those. And then I'm kind of working down. And then it just, the problem becomes is, like we were just talking about that, underneath 8,000, I got to find some value somewhere. I mean. I might be really light this week on yeah. DFS. I have to be honest. And you guys know me. I, I'm not. I play 150 lineups all the time. But when I can't make a case for a lot of underdogs, why the hell am I going to do it? Uh, Samuel, appreciate you, uh, your super chat there. Much appreciated. Best leverage spot. Uh, to me, there's three options. I, I look at Pedro Munoz, Kurt Halbaugh, and GM3. That's just because of ownership. Right now, uh, ownership is there, – there's not a lot of leverage spots as we sit here on a Thursday afternoon. No, there's really not. And, like, it's got to yeah. be GM3. It's got to be Halbaugh from a complete contrarian – leverage standpoint outside of that we'll have to see what demon blackshear's ownership is maybe he's the play the guy who's just staying active maybe but i i just don't see it from a skill set standpoint uh takedown upside i look at aljamain sterling i look at chris yep. weidman gregory rodriguez brad katona would be the the top four for me I, and i probably if i was gonna add a fifth austin hubbard yeah, okay, I like that whole list. Oh, and, and also, we're probably missing Petrosky, right? Like, Petrosky's got to be a top of the – one yeah. of the best fighters atop that list, too. Yeah. Uh, just got to be careful. Uh, ranking the 9K options. So, if I'm I'm ranking these 9K options, so you got Ian Gary, Greg Rodriguez, Natalia Silva, Wei Li Zhang, Mario Batista, Brad Tavares. Uh, Brad Tavares would be at the bottom of the list for me. Um, okay. I would probably put number one, I would probably go Gregory Rodriguez saying that he laces up those grappling shoes. Number two, give me Wei Lee. Three, 
Batista, four Gary, five Silva, six Tavares. Yeah, I'm going to go number one, Rodriguez, number two, Whaley, and number three, Batista, four Ian Gary, five Silva, and six Tavares. Um, not, I, I have confidence in a lot of those. It's just from a, a score standpoint, and that, that's what I'm kind of ranking them based on. Uh, sub 7.5 plays. I think we've kind of noted the top two for me would be Sean O'Malley and Amanda Lamos just because of their finishing upside. Uh, favorite core plays for me, uh, I'm starting with Aljo. That, that to me. Um, but if you want to go Gregor Rodriguez, don't mind that either. Yeah, I mean, on a week where I hate a lot of underdogs, I think O'Malley's going to be my core play. And I know it's scary, and I could go six hours of having fantastic lineups just to lose it at the very final yeah. fight. But that, that's how I'm gonna that's how I'm gonna build this week. Uh favorite inside the distance fights, my top two will be Rodriguez Tululin and Petrovsky Mirchard. I love both of those. What a good call. I, I like that a lot. Um is there somebody else? Not really. Like I I can't wait to see what Sam's over under was if he put it in there. Uh, five like, and a half. I think it's right. I'm gonna say under. Uh, oof. that's a good number. I'm seeing a lot of distance fights this week. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably, I'd probably go uh, less than that good one number. too. Um, I, I would definitely go less. Uh, fair fires you like with the best decision odds? Um, I, I do like. I don't want to say Chris White was like plus five hundred to win via decision. Um, that that is one I would stick to. Um, I would also look at uh, Marlon Vera via decision as well. What? It's probably, it's probably, it's probably gonna come down if he wins round two. Weidman's number one fan right here, Jason Floyd. I mean. Hey, it, look, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you've been sitting here for the last hour going, hey, there's not a lot of underdogs I like. I found an underdog that I'm like, I made a reason he can win this fight. Uh, you're going to get oh, a using, well, using your own words against you don't like it, huh? No, I'm just saying, <laughs> but like, I just, why he's a, he loves Weidman. Watch Weidman go out there and, and then you're going to clip it. What's going to happen is Weidman's going to go out there and say he wins. Jason's going to clip it and put it all over social media. And uh, I would never do such a thing. No. <laughs> no. But, but oh, oh, you would like me to clip you saying Sean O'Malley's going to win, and if Sean O'Malley wins, then you would love to put that clip out there. <laughs> yeah, but my Sean O'Malley's not coming off a snap in his leg in half. Like, you know, remember when, like, we had these girls that, like, broke their back <laughs> coming into the fight, and I was like, dude, I can't back a girl who just broke her back. Jason's, you know – take a tibia fibula all that and he don't matter it doesn't mind uh so he's gonna be back in weidman and uh i get it you just hate me. i guess you, you over here hating that's all you that's all it is you, you over here I like hating. Chris too. yeah i, I, I like look him. i will say this i i will say this i think chris is absolutely delusional thinking he has a chance to get back to the title he is delusional when he's saying that like that is where God, there needs to be someone around him going, Chris, come on, man. You're 39 years old. Yeah. He, 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 I mean. That's, that's your boy. Going to be fighting for a title 2024. <laughs> no damn way. No damn All right. Hey, one one for one. One for one. Okay. You like Weidman or Blackshear better? I mean, I really like Mario, though. Um, Isn't that close, though? I think if it's a GPP contest, you go Blackshear. I think if it's cash, you go Weidman. I think that's fair. I think Just because fair. I don't, I, I I don't look at Weidman as a hundred point score. I think he's probably in that 70, 75. But if Blackshear can make this a grappling contest, I could see where he gets 90, hundred points. I just, I, I, I really like Mario. I think Mario is one of the more underrated guys in the 135-pound division. I mean, it's unfortunate for him that he had a great opportunity because Cody Garbrandt loses it, but that's what happens in the sport. I mean, that's exactly what happens. Uh, anything you want to leave the listeners here before we get out of here, Pete? No, I just want to say thanks, guys, for the support. Love it always. Uh, if you guys haven't already, can you please like the video, subscribe to the channel, help us get to 1,000 subscribers. Each and every one of you guys make this possible, and uh, we really enjoy you know going back and forth with the community in our Discord, which is free to join, and it's in our description below. Um, yeah, good luck this week. Hopefully you guys, you know, hit some underdogs that you have a little bit more confidence on than I do. Um, and I'm just going to really be the biggest GM three and Sean O'Malley, you know, 
fan there is while while Jason Floyd's going to have his Chris Weidman t-shirt on. So uh, Look, I, I won't be able to watch these fights live, so I will uh, not be in Discord. So uh, if, if all of a sudden my phone gets blown up at you know about 930, I'm going to know one or two things either happened. Uh, so, so I won't be in Discord during the fights, but I will try to hop in there on Saturday morning, early Saturday afternoon. I'll throw in some prize picks plays. Had, had a really good week last week on prize picks. Uh, not a lot is sticking out to me on prize picks, but uh, you know, obviously I want to see what the weigh-ins look like, maybe see some other things, and maybe some more things I want to jump on prize picks. But like Pete said, truly appreciate everyone taking time out of your day to support what me and Pete are doing here on Fight HQ, whether you're watching us on YouTube or you listen to us on the podcasting platforms. Of course, we'll be back here next week to get you ready for next week's UFC card. As always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for the Fight HQ podcast.